with uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism. We are moving on from honour your father and mother and thou shalt not kill. And we're now moving on to the seventh commandment and the eighth commandment in particular. So these are questions 137 through to 142. Um, by way of reminder, let's just go back over what we understood last week so that we can appreciate what it means to go forward. So the Ten Commandments are boundary lines um, that keep you safe. They were given to God's people who were brought out of slavery. And as they were to then <clears throat> live and walk before God, uh, these boundary lines are like, as we said last week, are like fences at the top of cliffs. If you cross them, then there's nothing but danger on the other side and damage and hurt and pain. But if you stay on this side of the boundary line, there is, of course, blessing and freedom. Now, it may seem strange to uh, articulate freedom in terms of boundaries and rules and laws, but for any of us who play games, and I used last week the illustration of a tennis court, um, tennis is enjoyable because you have lines. And um, when something is in and something is out, it becomes very, very clear. And if you start playing with tennis, playing tennis with someone who has no respect for the boundaries, uh, you don't want to play with them anymore. It's no longer enjoyable. They, they ruin the game, um, and they almost take the freedom of the game away because the whole point of the enjoyment comes from having those lines in place, having rules and laws, as it were, of tennis. And so the freedom <clears throat> of that you enjoy with lines and rules is far greater than having no lines or rules whatsoever. And so the Ten Commandments were to establish God's people's extent of their freedom as they live for God and walk with God. And so that's what we understood last time. Then we moved on from that and understood that relationship defines how we relate. So let's go back to the very basics. God is the creator, we are the creation. So that defines the relationship between God and us. We know how to relate to God because we know who God is. And God relates to us in a way that is consistent with the way that he has made us. We are his creatures. So children are to honor their father and mother, um, but no mother and father should ever assume that when they have children, that a child automatically knows what a mother is or automatically knows what a father is. Children have no idea what mothers and fathers are. They have to learn what a mother and father is. So in order to, to honor your mother and father, you first have to know what they are, who they are in relation to God and who they are in relation to you if you're a child. And so by understanding the relationship, you then understand how to relate. The same is true between a husband and wife. If you understand what a husband is and you understand that you are the wife or vice versa, you then know how to, the, the defining of your relationship happens only when you understand the other person, who you are in relationship with. So that's what we kind of covered last week is the sort of ground level basics of the confession, that, that these questions, the commandments, focus on our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And the reason we need laws is because there's no way to enjoy freedom without them. 
We ruin our freedom if we disrespect the laws. And more than that, we cause ourselves harm if we jump the fence at the top of the cliff. There's only damage on the other side. So that's what we covered last time. <clears throat> As we move into questions um, 137 and 142, we move into the seventh commandment. I should just say at this point that if you read the commandments carefully, um, and as we will get to 1 Timothy this morning, it becomes obvious that if you honor your mother and father, it would make sense, biblical sense, reasonable sense, and of course, it's not a sin, to honor them. But it would be a sin to then murder. So the, the, the commandments that follow, thou shalt not murder, if you understand how you are to relate, then these just make perfect sense, the order that they are in. Okay, if you're going to honor your mother and father and respect your mother and father, you're then not going to kill them. You're not going to murder them. It just, it just flows. And then, of course, the seventh commandment is thou shalt not commit adultery. And I want to concentrate here uh, on the, the giving and the taking of both the seventh and the eighth commandment. So in the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, we have to consider a number of things. Um, most importantly... Uh, the relationship between desire and self-control. So as I said last week, um, if you uh, self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And if you do not have self-control, then your whole life will be dictated uh, by your desires and what you're devoted to. So de desires lead to devotions, and devotions are a form of commitment. And if you don't have self-control, then you will be dictated to by them whether it be eating more chocolate than you should, whether it be spending more money than you should, or, or having too much time doing nothing. Whatever your desire is, if you don't have self-control, you're going to be led by them. So that, again, looks like a form of freedom, but it, it's actually a form of entrapment. Um, desires, uh, ungodly desires, that is, uh, or even... Even too much of a good thing can entrap you. And we can perhaps look at that at, at another time. But at the same time, Proverbs 27 indicates that he who is full loathes honey, but to him who is hungry, un hungry, every bitter thing is sweet. And what that means is this, that my wife uh, doesn't let me go to the supermarket with her when I'm hungry because we always buy stuff we don't need. Oh, what would that taste like? Oh, what would that taste like? And so all of a sudden, when we get back, the, the shopping bill is that much greater because I'm looking at these things thinking, oh, I bet that tastes good. And the reason is because I go when I'm hungry. But if I go when I'm full, okay, you just, it just changes your desires entirely. And so it's really important that you stay full on God, uh, and that's one of the markers of self-control. That if you're full on God, if you love God, you know God loves you, and you're obeying God, and you're keeping yourself full. And what that does is it keeps your desires in check, even desires for good things so that you don't get out of balance. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with enjoying food, but gluttony would be wrong. Okay, and there's uh, nothing wrong with enjoying drink, but to become a drunkard would be wrong. And so we understand that the good things can soon become problems if they're not controlled. And the way that they're controlled is by staying full on God. That's how self-control 
works. If I am full on God, if I'm content with God, godliness with contentment is great gain, then all of these other problems just disappear. Now, the seventh and the eighth commandment is, seventh, thou shalt not commit adultery, and the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. And for me, just for the idea of memorizing the meaning, so there's one thing to memorize scripture texts, and I'm, I think that's a great practice to memorize scripture texts, but what is really important is to memorize the meaning. So what we ought to start practicing is memorizing meaning. So how would we summarize um, seven and eight in terms of not, thou shalt not steal, uh, sorry, thou shalt not commit adultery and thou shalt not steal, but how can we memorize that as a meaning? Well, it would be, thou shalt not give to someone else what belongs to your wife, and thou shalt not take from someone else what belongs to them. Have you got it? So there's the implication of the text. Thou shalt not give to someone else what belongs to your spouse, husband or wife, and thou shalt not take from someone else what belongs to them. And so the seventh and the eighth commandment are really to do with uh, giving and taking. You know, we're not to give in the wrong way, and we're not to take in the wrong way. Does that make sense? Just as a, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I really want you to understand how important it is to memorize the meaning, not just memorize the text. Memorizing the text is great, uh, and that will help you to memorize the meaning, but we want to memorize the meaning. Now, in the seventh commandment, um, one of the duties required as um, you'll find in the Westminster Larger Catechism is the emphasis on self-control over desires, senses, dress, and of course, uh, love. That is love between a husband and a wife. And these things here are not something that you can put in place um, by establishing rules or laws. They, they just don't work like that. Um, it, is, it is possible to perhaps put a, a lock on the kitchen cupboards so that chocolate bars or cheese puffs or whatever it may be don't disappear in, overnight. Um, but that there doesn't actually do anything with the desire. You, you desire something, and then if you can't get at it, you know, that is a good way of, of perhaps keeping your desire in check so that it doesn't get out of control, but that doesn't actually deal with the desire itself. And we all know um, the three things that are needed in order for sin to sort of take over our lives, and it is desire, opportunity, and ability. So for instance, let's just go to the thou shalt not commit adultery. This is where a man is to be entirely faithful to God and to his wife, and a wife is to be entirely faithful to God and her husband. What would that look like if you're not putting in rules? So a wedding ring may be a good reminder. It's a good indicator to everyone else that you married. Um, touching your, your wedding ring may be a good reminder uh, that you're married, you know, that you play with it as, as an active reminder. I think they're fine, but they're not that effective. It is much more effective to understand how desires, opportunity, and ability works so that you're aware of them. So if you have a desire to do something you don't want to do, that you, sorry, if you have a desire to do something that you should not do according to God's um, word, 
And then you have the opportunity to do it, and you have the ability to do it. When those three things line up, as James says in the book of James, you will be led into sin. Desire, opportunity, and ability. That when those three things line up, interestingly, if you want to know how God is leading you, it's the same principle. Do you have a desire to be a missionary? I do. Do I have the ability to be a missionary? I believe so. Do I have the opportunity to be a missionary? No. Well, then, you're not going to be a missionary. Okay? When those three things line up, biblically and godly, then it is God prompting and directing your life. And sin, because of the way sin works, it uses the same triad, but it uses it to get you to do things that are disobedient and unfaithful to God. And so, for instance, if we go back to the man and the wife, if a, a man and a wife are not keeping each other full in the home, okay, then every bitter thing is sweet. Okay, if a husband and a wife is not keeping themselves full in the home, then, um, you know, wandering eyes happen when you're out on the street. You know, all of a sudden you see women coming in direction and you're looking in a way that you shouldn't be. Okay, why, why does that happen? Even though you know the commandment, even though you know um, what God expects of you, why is it that those things are happening? Well, it happens because of emptiness. If, if there's, an, if there's em, you're looking to be full and you're looking to be fed, and because you're not getting um, the food where you ought to be getting it, you start snacking elsewhere, if I can use that analogy. So it's, it is so important to understand that in order to keep the seventh commandment, it is f fundamentally important to, for a husband and wife to fill each other up, to be completely full uh, on each other. And that means not only making sure that, your hus that husband and wives are full on each other, but they're also keeping themselves full on God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that they are consciously aware of their spiritual condition. And of course, that then leads to the senses, that then leads to dress, okay? The idea of certain clothes drawing attention. I mean, everybody, everybody knows um, certain distinctions that I'm not a, well, you can probably tell that I'm not a fashion expert, but I understand the difference between a round neck and a V-line neck. And I understand the reason why clothes are shaped the way that they are to draw, certain, to draw attention to certain parts of the human body or away from certain parts of the human body. You know, do you wear spots or stripes? Am I, you know, if I, if I put on weight, I'm not going to wear perhaps, you know, like a, a check shirt that would make me look even bigger. These, these type of things are designed by clothes designers uh, because they understand that people, right, are motivated by how they look or how they want other people to perceive them. And so um, Doug Wilson has a, has a brilliant way of saying um, that in terms of relationship with boys and girls, that men want and women want to be wanted. But then he adds, and I th I've never forgotten this, a very good description. He says, and what happens is that if, if a woman wants to be wanted in the wrong way, she's got plenty of assets to trade with. And so she will dress in such a way to, to say, look, look what I can offer. 
Now that's wrong, entirely wrong. But if you're not full on God and you're not full on and you, you just don't under, this is what happens next. Even though you know the commandment, you, you almost can't avoid falling into breaking it because you're empty in the areas where you are meant to be full. And so dress is, of course, a really big issue. Now, last year in the men's group, I spoke about how temptation works. And there are two ways that temptation works that we have to be mindful of. So um, it is one thing to be tempted by um, what you're not allowed to enter into. It's another thing to be tempted when you're empty of what you, um, what you should have. So for instance, if um, between a husband and wife, if they're not keeping each other full, um, how, do you over the, how do you overcome the temptation then when, you've, when you're surrounded by other people, right? So it is, it, is, it, is so, it is irresponsible for a wife not to give to her husband what she ought to give and for a husband not to give to his wife what he ought to give because it opens the other person up to temptations that they may not be able to overcome because they're not full. So the, air, the level of responsibility here is indeed great. So that is what the confession would argue as a neglect of duties. That once you understand the relationship between a husband and wife, you have duties that you have to fulfill. And if you neglect those duties, if we take the confession now back into the Exodus 20, what is the consequence of neglecting duties? Well, if you are called to not commit adultery, the consequence is you will end up committing adultery. Like this is what you're being protected from. This is the fence at the top of the cliff rather than the ambulance at the bottom. So the seventh commandment, simply put, is you are not to give to another what belongs to your husband or to your wife. You're not to give away what only belongs to them. And of course, within the marriage, you're to give to each other what you are meant to give to each other biblically and properly understood. Okay. Now, the Eighth Commandment is slightly different, but you still got this giving and taking. Now, the Eighth Commandment is you're not allowed to take from someone else what belongs to them. Okay, you're not allowed to take. Now, I want you to understand this not in terms of a person stealing their neighbor's lawnmower or a person stealing their neighbor's car or a person stealing their neighbor's anything. But think about this in light now of the seventh commandment. Right, so now I'm not allowed to steal my neighbor's wife. Right? Make sense? Do you understand how the, right, because the idea here is to focus on the relationship, not with things, but the relationship with people. Thou shalt not kill is a relational issue with people. You're to, you're to, be, you're to consider people. And so, it's easy to go from the seventh commandment to the eighth commandment and say, well, the eighth commandment doesn't have anything to do with people. My reading would be, no, it has everything to do with people. Not only are you not to steal from them their, what is their property, but you're not to steal in, you know, their husband or their wife by means of deception or whatever it may be. Okay, and those things can happen. You have, uh, if a wife is vulnerable, or a husband is um, 
underfed in the home spiritually, as it were, um, he is prone to be then stolen by someone else elsewhere. You know, they, they're, prying on, uh, they're prying on that relationship. And there, there are plenty of reasons for it that I won't go into. But what I'm trying to stress, if I can, is not just to understand the Eighth Commandment in the context of things, um, in terms of property that you have in your garage or your garden or your house, but to actually understand it in relationship to people as well, because I think that's really important. Because what God is doing is he is building his people, he is strengthening his people, he is blessing his people, and he gives them these boundary lines to protect his people. And of course, you've got to remember, at the point that they've just come out of Egypt, um, they're, not, they're not what you would call an established people. They've, they've not settled in the land yet. They've not built homes and houses. They've not got what we would call uh, material property like we have today. Now, that doesn't mean that the commandment doesn't apply to material property. I just want us to understand it in relation to the commandments as we go through. So if we keep this idea that the commandments and the rules of God are there to protect relationships, both between us and God and us with each other, then the eighth commandment, thou shalt not take, must also take into consideration uh, the wife of another man or the husband of another man, uh, another woman, sorry, if that makes sense. So the focus is relationships. How do we relate? So when you understand the relationship, so let's go back to the very basic principle that we learned last week. If the, if the lady over there is the wife of that man, then she, is not, then she is not my wife. And therefore, I have to relate to her in an entirely different way than the way I relate to my own wife. And that includes uh, even things like, you'll see that if I, if, I, if I put my arm around any lady in this church, you'll notice that it's only ever one arm, it's not two arms, okay? Because I only ever put two arms around my wife because I'm consciously making a distinction between I want to show loving Christ to you and I want to, I want to be affectionate in that way, but you're not going to get two arms, you're only going to get one, okay? Because I want to make a distinction between what I do with my wife and what I do with the wives of other men in the church. Make sense? And I would expect the same from you towards my wife. I don't mind you hugging my wife, but if I see two arms, I might just tap you on the shoulder and say, one is enough. Okay? Now, now the reason for that is, is, is we enjoy the boundaries. We, it's a way of protecting relationships. We are constantly making distinctions because when we understand the relationship, we will then understand that we relate to this person differently than this person, and, and so forth and so on. Make sense? Okay, and it's, really, it's so, so important that we, that we understand that way. Now, I've got an illustration here um, that uh, in terms of... Uh, oh, um, in terms of what I'm trying to, to point out, but... We can also think of uh, stealing in the wrong way in terms of um, what we take from another person. So employment, if you're an employer and you have employees and the employee is late and he is, say, half an hour late for work, 
but the employer has paid him from eight o'clock that morning onwards, and he doesn't arrive until half eight, let's say, then that, that is what you are then stealing from your employer. Now, the distinction I want to make here is that you're not stealing from the business. Um, I have, I mean, I'm no expert in um, finance or taxes, but I understand, having started a business and run a business, that there is no such thing as business tax. They call it business tax, but it's really a, a tax on people, right? Because the walls of my business never paid a dime, as you would say, okay? The, the equipment that I had never paid anything. They cost me money to keep it going. Every, all the material things that I had in my business, my vans, my tools, my workshop, everything, never paid a single thing. And so when an employee, for instance, is late for work, you think, well, it's, I'm not hurting anybody because it's, it's the business. The business, right? No, it's people. Businesses don't pay for anything. It's people. So um, there once was a story of a man who um, got his leg trapped in a revolving door in London. And the common response was, well, that, that, that hotel, I forget the name of the place. I think it was a hotel or some kind of hotel said, well, at least it's big enough. Um, they've got enough money. They can just pay the man off. But the thing was, is the business had actually done nothing wrong. The owner of the business who actually owned, actually done nothing wrong. And the man was trying to take advantage of the fact that this won't hurt anyone. The business will pay for it. Right? But it was actually his fault. You know, CCT cameras showed that he was just trying to pull a fast one and get money. The point that I'm trying to make here in the Eighth Commandment is, again, that even if you think you're late for work, if you're late for work and you think that has nothing to do with people, it has everything to do with people because businesses don't pay anything. Okay? People pay things. People organize and arrange things in such a way that we understand um, what it is. And so that may not be an obvious um, picture of deception, uh, of theft, but it is a form of theft. But I want you to understand again that you're not stealing time as though time has no reference to a person. You're stealing from a person. Okay, so we can say, well, I've, I stole half an hour because I was late for work, or I've actually stolen several hours because I've been late for work over the last month. Well, no, you're, you're, what you're stealing is not the same as who you're stealing from. And so the, the idea of the Westminster Confession is to really get you to understand, as does Exodus 20 make clear, that this is in the context of relationships. You're always, it's always in relationship to a person. Now, of course, uh, question 142 is, um, is important because it does deal with a different form of theft, and that is the theft of deception, unequal weights and measures, um, cooking the books, whatever it may be, where you are purposely, um, it's what we would call deliberate ambiguity. You are not being clear in order to hide something. So you're telling the truth, but you're not telling the whole truth in nothing but the truth. And so in the, in the shadowy areas, in the dark areas, you are thieving by means of deception. And the best way to, to look at this is what you would call 
asymmetric knowledge, right? So the person, um, and I've been in this position, so I know what it feels like, where I've actually gone to have a look at a work vehicle for carrying lead rolls, and so it had to have a particular uh, uh, section in the back that could handle weight and so forth in that. And, and of course, when you come up to buy a, a vehicle that's already been used perhaps two or three years, the person selling the vehicle knows more than the person buying the vehicle. Okay, they have a greater amount of knowledge. And so it puts their, their it's, if they're honest and faithful before God, they are obligated to declare like a full disclosure exactly how good the vehicle is, has it been taxed, has it been serviced every year, what it's the problems, does it, does it struggle to start in cold weather. All, all, of these, all of these sort of, all of this information needs to be declared um, because if it isn't, um, you are effectively accepting more money than you should and that is a means of theft by deception. Because if the car is only worth, um, say, $3,000 and you've paid $4,000, then that's $1,000 of theft by deception. And I've had that. I bought, I bought a vehicle and everything about the vehicle was great, um, apart from the alternator. The alternator seems to be was on the way out. And of course, as many of you all know, an alternator is an expensive part of a car. And so not long after did I have the, the van, it was a, a, a sealed back van, uh, the, the alternator went on it and it cost me I don't know, eight or 900 pound to have it fixed, or theft by deception. Now you could argue, well, I didn't know when it was gonna go, but there are indicators. And so the eighth commandment again, um, even though we can understand what's being sold, stolen, we have to understand the ways in which it is being stolen from people. Because this is relational aspects. In other words, if you remove people and you just have cars and buildings, there's not going to be any theft. Like, there's not going to be any adultery. There's not going to be any killing. There's, there's not going to be anything like that. But the moment you introduce men and women, boys and girls, then suddenly all of these commandments are needful because it is a relational issue. It is a relational issue between um, what we are to be and what we are not to be. And so let's just summarize, if I can, the, the first uh, last week and this week. Last week is understanding that the first four commandments is concentrating on our relationship with God. And now these next six commandments concentrate not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with each other in relationship to God. Principle, if you understand the relationship you're in, that defines then how you are to relate. And therefore, killing is an obvious one because it relates to people. You're not to take the life of another. Stealing is perhaps less obvious but now you begin, now hopefully you've understood, no. If, if those things existed without people, there would be no stealing. The problem is people steal from people, not from a business. And what you steal has to be distinguished from who you're stealing from. So the seventh and eighth commandment is about giving in the wrong way and taking in the wrong way. Okay? If someone said, 
Uh, for instance, you have an apple tree in the bottom of your garden, yard, garden, I don't know where you would plant an apple tree in America, where there's grass and water, okay? And, and you said to the neighbors, that anytime you like to come over, you can take apples off the tree, okay? And you can perhaps in return, when you make an apple pie, you can bring an apple pie over for my family, right? So the idea is, is once the relationship is established, you can pop over the fence, take as many apples that you like, and then you're not taking in the wrong way. But if you jump the fence and you take the apples without permission, then that's taking in the wrong way. And the same way with uh, adultery and relationships. Uh, a man is not to give to another woman what he's only to give to his wife. And the same with the wife. The wife is not to give to another man what she's only to give to her husband. And, of course, when it comes to thieving, a, a, a wife is not allowed to look at another wife, uh, woman's husband and try and take him because that would be theft. And that would also be adultery as well. The idea is to understand these commandments, not as individual commands to try and cover all the bases, but actually commands that logically and reasonably follow each other in the context of relationship with God and relationship with each other. Make sense? Um, I've sort of sped through. Um, are there any, does anyone want to make a comment or pick me up on anything or ask a question? At this point, we've got um, about three minutes, three or four minutes. Now, the rule is, when I used to teach at the Bible College, that if there is, I said this last March, um, that if there is no questions after I finish teaching, then I have either done a tremendous job being clear or none of you were listening. It's good. Well, if it's clear, that's good. It's clear. But I want you to understand that as you go through the confessions, especially these questions that focus on the commandments, that it really is about addressing our relationship with God and our relationship with each other in relationship to God. Let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the families of this church. And I would ask, Father God, that by your grace, which is sufficient each and every day, giving us the strength that we need to live for you, that you would bless and keep uh, each one from the very youngest to the very oldest. And I ask that in Christ's name. Amen.